I saw the whole deaf and dumb school healed en masse. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity. What I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning and more adventure and more satisfaction, but it's a life that you cannot get independently. Guys, welcome back to the Ansons podcast. It's a lovely summer morning here and we are excited to get outside. But first, Blaine actually recently pitched this question to me the other day, which was, if you were having a conversation with a young man and you were sitting across from him, and just kind of any young man who's sort of just exited college, is entering into, quote unquote, real life, what's the one thing you'd want to talk about? And immediately came this topic, that there is no wasted time. And as we will see, there's, there's lots of different ways that that kind of plays out. But this is something that I think applies more than just to that person. I know that this applies to people at different stages. And I think of our conversation with Sarah Hagerty and her book on winter. I think of uh, our conversation we just had with Ben the other day about starting a whole new direction at 35. Like This is something that matters regardless of where you are. It's interesting because we were thinking of a particular period in a young man's life, sort of early 20s to early 30s. We're talking, there's kind of a decade that feels like the momentum has, I don't know, left the story. And part of that is definitely because if you are someone who goes through the education system of this country, you have momentum. You have achievement, stacked on achievement, even if all you're doing is bobbing through year after year. And there is, in many ways, an artificial sense of progression. But there are real curriculums you're working through, and you do have an experience of increasing competency. You can even navigate the system itself more efficiently. This builds, maybe it crescendos, and then all of a sudden you find yourself having to navigate the life of a soul and the life of a human being over sort of an infinite amount of time. And that's where this thing starts to come of, oh my gosh, at the end of high school, things were great. Maybe I stepped right into something and immediately had this feeling of, what am I doing? Maybe I went to college and then it's I graduated. I was it was such an incredible experience. I thought I was really getting into sort of the real territory of my passion and now I am driving a snowplow for airports when there's storms. Right. And like that is one method of entry into this moment where you feel like you're not where you're supposed to be. You feel like you are in the wrong job, doing the wrong thing. Truly, you feel like you're just wasting your time and you should be somewhere else. But even if that's not your entry into it, society loves telling us this message. Like the whole world is geared towards selling you things and 
frankly, the way that they sell you things is telling you that what you have isn't good enough and what they have is better. And so that's a car, that's a house, that's a job, that's a, you know, you name it, a vacation. And somehow you're behind or you've wasted your time or you really should be doing this instead. Or if you only had, like, the, the list is endless. It's interesting. Every time we talk about money, we have to contrast an emotional experience of wealth with on-time daily bread, in-season provision. There is uh, a corollary here, which is there is this furtive thing, which is an emotional experience of being on-time inside your calling. And when I think of wasted time, what I think of most of the time is it doesn't matter where it is, my work, marriage, and I can think of really some sort of heightened examples of this. But what it is, is an emotional experience of being outside of the story, having not necessarily taken a wrong turn, but having been sidelined, sort of shunted away on a sidetrack for a certain amount of time. I think a distinction that you made when we were talking about this podcast that's really helpful in the beginning is there are real ways to waste time. When we say there's no wasted time, we don't mean that exactly. So where's the distinction in thinking about wasted time versus no wasted time? I think I'm fabulous at wasting time. Human beings have made it a hobby, a a passion to waste time to medicate. I mean, this, there are so many ways that we can do this. And there are many ways that the Bible kind of warns against spending your time foolishly. It seems though that God, as he enters the story of our lives, actually works things for his good and for our good. And he is excellent at not wasting time, though we may be very proficient at it. The stories within the Bible are just littered with, I I don't know if you can find one without God redeeming or working things and using time well in surprising ways. And so there is a shift and there is an invitation and we'll get there. But first, I think it might just be really helpful to like, we began with naming this is an experience that I've had that I know other young men have had that frankly, I think a lot of people, if not everyone has at some point of like, I got sidelined, I'm behind where I'm right now. I've made like a terrible mistake somewhere. I don't know where, but somehow I did then enter in and say, what if instead you were right where you were supposed to be, or you actually have an invitation to use this time intentionally. And by way of example, we can now point to our own lives and stories from the Bible. And so to kick things off with those stories, I was chatting with Susie about this this morning because I got to give credit to her. I can't pretend like I am just able to spitball these off. It's great to have a soundboard. Uh, And so thank you, Susie, for these. But um, the first one that came to mind was King David, arguably one of the most influential, powerful, honored kings of Israel. Jesus is of the line of David, for crying out loud. So that certainly has some weight. And before he's king, we know this story, but we don't think about it. Like he's running and hiding from King Saul for his life in caves. And it's a while that he's in these caves. There's arguments about exactly how long that is, but it's years. I want to drop us into that moment 
in this story. We have the we have the privilege of looking back and seeing the whole arc, but in our own lives, that's that's rarely, if ever, the case. We just get the moments, and so drop into that moment. You are in the wilderness. You are in a dirty, literally, cave, hiding for your life. This is it. This is what it's all about. This is your moment. And what does that feel like to be in that space? You must feel like something has gone terribly wrong. He's able to remain faithful and believe it and cry out for help. He doesn't take Saul's life on a couple of occasions when he has the ability to, because he's not going to intervene until God says he can. And so he's like in that space. What's so remarkable about the story is that he's choosing to continue his personal development. Like he, he is becoming the king that we will know down the road. But in that moment, he's just a dude hiding in a dirt hole. That's not exactly glamorous. That's not exactly the th- the person that is dancing in front of the throne with the ark returned. Like th- we like to think of those highlight moments. This isn't this is not Instagram for King David. This is real. That was just such a helpful reminder for me because everybody drops the name King David, you think of all of the epic acts. You don't think of those moments which is probably where we are. It was funny when you said that you were going to use some uh, classic biblical examples, just doing a quick, uh, I don't know, mental check of figures I know. It's almost without exception that there is a way that the story looks. And the way the story looks is if you are Abraham, a covenant is made with you, and then nothing happens for forever, and you wander and navigate life and try to develop a relationship with this increasingly knowable but very mysterious God. If you're Joseph, you're sold into slavery. If you're Moses, you are running for your life after murdering someone. If you are David, you are hiding in a cave, doing the preparation for your ruling, and you'll be acknowledged as among the great kings, and you will write, just if we go page count here, most of the Bible, like more than any other person, then you get forward and you get to Paul and it's, you get your calling and then you are so unable to handle it that they have to put you on a boat and literally send you to your parents' house. (laughs) They send you right back home and you live, you know, in Tarsus with your folks who are still Jewish and not into this thing that you're doing, learning to navigate the calling that you will eventually walk out. And sometimes when we pitch this, I had a guy come back to me and say, so are you saying like, I don't do anything with this season? Read the Bible and hope that it produces virtues in me. And it was a great response because it made me go, okay, okay. So no, we're identifying a few things. One of which is there is a common experience in a life with God, which is feeling like the story has lost its momentum and that you are now in the backwater, feeling like you are out of time relative to your calling. You can look at almost anybody and they have this kind of experience. I think that another thing to identify here is this always goes back to what we believe the point of this life is. It always goes back to what we believe we really are called into. I think part of the illusion of wasted time is this belief that achievement, the more the better, right here, right now, 
is the meaning and aim of man. Right. Well, and the thing with achievement too is that when things are going well, this is this is the thing that everybody knows and we all tell ourselves, but we rarely reflect on. That when things are going well, we don't need God. We don't turn to him. We don't ask him. Relationship kind of ebbs and you feel like things are going well, so you're just going to kind of keep succeeding. And this is where we love to geek out a little bit in the, the Hebrew word midbar, which means desert, comes from the root of debar or deber, which is to speak. So the desert is the place where God speaks, sometimes literally, as in the story of Hagar uh, in the form of the angel. She's fleeing for her life, cast away, sometimes metaphorically, as it often feels like there are, you probably are not in the desert, a literal desert right now. And yet the literal, like the, the, like the desert is where God speaks. Like that is literally the root of that idea. That's the invitation of when you are not doing well, that is often where we can hear him the most. And it can, and desert doesn't need to be not doing well. It can also mean frontier. It can also be the place where you are called to go and meet with God rather than forced to. It can also just be the place where things aren't happening. I went over last night to pray with a friend. And then as I was leaving, he goes, also, I don't run around the city all the time praying with people. It just happened to be this time. I realized that I might be giving an image of, I just went over and I had prayed with one guy and another person, then I went to a prayer meeting. Yeah, it was a normal night for you. But I was leaving, and he asks, so what are you doing with the rest of your night? And I looked at him with sort of a, wow, that is such a optimistic question. And I just sort of explained, I'm going to go clean my kitchen and then try to return the, hor- the horse, the house, to some level of order. And then I'm going to try to be in bed before 10.30, if at all possible. And if I can also do some other house tasks in there, aka nothing. In me, what I felt in response to his question was, what are you going to go do? And what it should be was, I'm going to go, oh, I'm really jamming on this writing project. I'm going to jump back in. Or, you know, I've been waiting to have a little window in order to make some X thing or to hang out with this other person. Something that is sort of verifiably awesome. And instead, it was just so normal. And most of my time looks so ordinary. When I saw friends recently that I hadn't seen in like a year, it really is a great moment of, hey, what have you been up to? What's new? And I sort of was asking myself after a conversation that felt pretty unimpressive, what would I what would I like to be able to say? And the things that are attractive to me would be to say, well, you know, we launched this new project and it's blazingly successful and I have an art opening in the city in the fall, been really cool developing relationships with local artists around that and oh my gosh, the the flourishing that's happening inside our church is just unbelievable. And but instead it was really ordinary. My updates are about my kids and regular job and then I talk about other people in the family who are doing maybe more interesting things. And if I could take that and then go, this is the God speaks time. This is the time of developing deep familiarity with God while also developing all of these invisible things it's just it is a major reframe that is the invitation that we are moving towards of like how will you think about where you are 
what's going on, be it glamorous, painful, or mundane. Another story that Susie reminded me of is from the Bible, Queen Esther, and the great phrase of like, you were made for such a time as this. There was probably, my guess, 99% of her life that just felt like life, that just felt like things are kind of happening and some things she has control of and a lot of things she doesn't. And then comes a moment where her uncle's able to put it in perspective and to say, no, 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 no. God has you here on purpose. You were made for this moment, this time. And in her case, it ends up being something quite glamorous, like saving her people. Okay. It might not be that for all of us, but it will probably be somewhat dramatic as you might be saving your family, saving your marriage, saving your work. We are called to intervene in this world. And so your great purpose will be to intervene in some way or to heal in some way. And so just that story of like, okay, her life while she's living it may not have felt super glamorous or even that great and may have wished for a different one. And yet enter this moment, enter this place where like clarity comes and all of a sudden she's a name that will be remembered for thousands of years. Like that actually isn't an exception. That's an example for us. Shifting now to stories from our own lives, I think the mundane is really helpful and God working things. One that came to mind was the way that God uses our suffering if we allow him to. And the story for me that's really present having young kids is the story of our miscarriage. Not one I would have chosen if I could go back in time, still one I wouldn't choose. And yet it's complicated because the loss that we experienced and the timing of our next pregnancy introduced not one child now, but two. We have one in heaven and one here that we never would have had here. And so we love this one that's here. And yet also the loss that we experienced genuinely has made me a better, better father. I'm able to like be present to what I have in ways that I probably wouldn't have. I know I would not have been present had I not experienced loss. Would I rather have not experienced the loss and still been present? Absolutely. And yet in that loss, in the miscarriage that was brutal, that I've written about, that I've spoken with dear friends about, and probably it feels like a lot, but it, it's important to me. And so that's the things I'm going to talk about. There was a moment like, where the question was, am I going to let God into this? And am I going to grow from it? As Dan Allender says, am I going to use my pain or am I going to waste it? And that's the meaning, that opportunity of like, I can, I can grow from this or I can decay from this and just shy away from this burning pain. I'm really grateful that I had the people around me and the wife that I'm married to that I was able to step in and grow from it. And I know that probably a lot of us, if not all of us have moments and stories where we chose to grow from pain. And if we will let God, then those moments become pretty, pretty foundational in, in what we choose to do next and the ways we choose to love and live and go after others. And so as I think of ways that God works in our own stories, that's a really palpable one. Yeah, it's a great example. When I was thinking of these, the one that actually came to mind as most important recent would be grad school. And 
you know, I there were these ideas that I wanted to work with. There was prayer and discernment and feel like the thumbs up to go do this thing. And then honestly sort of looking around and going, oh my gosh, this feels like a, I don't know, a level of narcissism where I'm the only person who really knows what I am doing right now. I've been allowed to create this project. It looks sort of glamorous because the world is going to give you a a diploma or whatever, and it happens to be something that the world values or gives honor to without realizing how utterly arbitrary it is. And what I just wanted to explain is I spent the better part of a year in this kind of backroom closet of the house that Emma and I were renting, creating a paper, creating a project uh, that maybe three people were going to read and only were going to read for the purposes of checking it off. They weren't going to read it to have their worldview changed or any pattern of action changed. They were just going to read it to say, yes, you did this. I think that there's something there of, oh my gosh, even now, it feels pretty random. And friends will ask me, and friends who are considering grad school will go, hey, what are you thinking now of your grad school experience? And I think there are sort of little answers to that, but it's been helpful to realize and to learn to explain I don't know yet. What do I make of it? What was it for? In this case, that feels like demanding a return on an investment too early. And what the investment is, stepping into something where God was leading, where desire and the invitation of God coincided, walking it out in belief that it actually is going to play a role somewhere in the story. But if I look right now and go, Sure, I can say that I use all my grad school soft skills all the time. Endurance, critical thinking, reading, blah, blah, blah. Could someone say that I might have developed those skills outside of grad school? Indeed, they could. Or I could say, you know, that it really helped develop in me the ability to engage a person's thinking, to be more present in a conversation, to understand where they were coming from. Again, things that can be developed just fine outside of grad school, but I have this weird, I have this weird season of uh, isolation, semi-irrelevant feeling reading and writing, and I don't know yet where that fits into the story. It's just sort of there, and I think that's actually become a helpful one for me with some of these just going, I really do want the takeaway from these things quicker, and I incline that way and go... Oh, well, you know, after college, I worked as a mechanic and felt boring, but now I know mechanics. Isn't that great? I can fix my own car and go, that that correlation is great. Sometimes it's that obvious. Very often it isn't. And I want to find it rather than sort of living in to the tension of, Jesus, what's the time frame you're thinking of with this? Yeah, the job thing is actually a big point because it's something that we've talked about a lot in regards to Luke's recent job, a lot of the small stuff that we do, I was doing grocery errands for people outside of college, and then I was bartending, and then I was doing freelance work, can feel like I just got to get through this and then on to, quote unquote, like the real thing or real life or what I'm actually supposed to be doing. And we blow through the opportunity for growth if we're looking 
too far into the future. It's great to plan. That's not what I'm saying. There's an invitation to be present and to be growing. And it harkens back to the very first podcast we did on success of like, if you want to be the kind of person with character, you gotta, you gotta work on that in the day to day. And that's, that's what this whole podcast is about at Ann Sons of what does it look like to walk this out in the day to day. I've got here on my desk, the book that's, you know, it's ostensibly by brother Lawrence, but it's really just a collection of writings and letters of his, um, the practice of the presence of God. And he worked as a dishwasher. He worked in the kitchen and yet he invited God into every moment. So to read a line from that, this is someone speaking of him. Although he once had a great dislike for kitchen work, he developed quite a faculty for doing it over the 15 years he was there. He attributed this to his doing everything for the love of God, asking as often as possible for his grace to do his work. I love that line. It's like, it's very early in it, and it's not necessarily the most mind-blowing or trying to change your pattern, but it is this posture of, I am doing something as mundane as washing dishes, and yet the invitation is to invite God into it. And then it completely changes it because you can be growing your character, you can be experiencing God in it, and the time is not something that's going to waste. Uh, That's a hopeful invitation. It is. When we're talking about ways to actually live into your season, we're talking about paradigm changes and then shifts in posture that actually allow you to reap some of the benefit or to participate in what God is doing in a season that feels uh, slow, we'll say. Someone had asked, asked us about apprenticeship, and it made me sort of look back at why we chose that word uh, relative to Anson's. And Robert Greene, author, most well-known for the book The 48 Laws of Power, recently wrote a book about mastery that is really a book about apprenticing. And But what's so interesting looking at these people is that it's just a manifesto in, look at this guy, his story takes the backwater turn, but because of small shifts in posture, it actually developed in him the capacity he needed. And that sounds like the fairy tale version. It sounds too simple. And yet the principle is real. Like he talks about Albert Einstein finishes, you know, school and he's looking around and he's offered an engineering job from his dad, but he thinks it's going to take too much of his time. And he's offered this other job. I can't remember, uh, but that was more lucrative. And he ends up taking a job in a patent office, totally out of, out of the way, alone at a desk, reviewing patents. But he actually thought that in it, there would be the ability to sort of hone his systems thinking skills. And he knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to probe these massive problems in physics, but in order to get there, he needed simply to have a level of stamina in probing the problems of systems that he felt he could best learn by looking at patents. And I think there's nothing necessary there that if you look at patents all day, you will probably not end up being able to solve problems in astrophysics. But if you actually engage with this idea of this is an apprenticeship and what we want is mastery, what we want is to be the guy, but to view several decades of our life as, oh, this is the 
the apprentice period where I'm learning the skills that I then employ or where I am learning even to like keep my heart alive in a way that will let me lead a company or lead a family or have a loving relationship with the person. Just some other examples. Benjamin Franklin, obviously a uh, popular cat to use in his an example for whatever it is you want an example for. But in this case, I do like that he chose on purpose to apprentice inside his brother's print shop, even though it was longer. It was like four years longer than the one that he was offered and much less glamorous. But same thing, he knew that he would actually be able to develop as a writer. He knew that it would build in him the kind of stamina required to be a public voice, which he ends up being, you know, 20 years later. And we just have sort of this framework, which is, okay, you feel like you're in the in the wasted time and go, well... To quote the great Craig McConnell, in God's economy, there is not wasted time. There's, And we have this opportunity, one, to invite the presence of God, to invite God into the thing that we are doing, and then to really begin to grow inside it. And those go together. If you invite God in, show me how to be yeah, present to this season. Yeah, ask him what he's doing. And then... There are always all of these things being built in us for which there are no shortcut, for which there are only lots of hours, lots of miles in the work that feels totally irrelevant. And I think to bring us back to the beginning, this isn't something we want or you should want to slap on as an excuse to something that actually isn't growing. I think as people, we, we drift into comfort. And so... There could be a season going on right now uh, where things are just fine. There's nothing really bad. There's nothing particularly good. It's just sort of comfortable, and you're kind of moseying along. I I would be careful to label that as not wasted time because, again, human beings are phenomenal at wasting time. God's not. We are. And so this idea of growing and maturing, and it has action. It has movement to the words to the to the verbs here because it is an invitation to ask and then to pursue and grow and do it's not something that's just going to happen there there is a real distinction of binge watching your hard copy of lost or there there is a what i would label as checking out there are things that god wants to be doing there is a way of staying present and there are totally ways of just reneging on that. And we can go into coast mode. We can ignore our internal life. And those are all uh, sort of things that we want to look at and go, what is causing you to do that? I mean, you have a motive. You have a heart. It is choosing. It is making choices. Why are you choosing towards checking out of your story? Why are you choosing towards coasting? And these are actually things that can lead to a really incredible territory in your own story and great recovery and purpose. Then there just is the thing of, wow, because Jesus is actually committed to creating people who can rule the universe with him, rule this earth as his creative allies for eternity, 
the process entails a massive amount of slow, slow maturation. And I think framing our sort of backwater seasons or backwater jobs or we've been sidelined experiences as this is the place that God speaks and he speaks so that I can actually learn how to engage him in everything that I do. All of a sudden we have, I don't know, a pretty radically different paradigm for these wastelands in our own years and decades. (laughs) 